The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. How you doing? Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall and welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk radio. Thank you for listening on radio, on stream, on podcast, on iTunes and iHeart and everywhere that you can listen. Also, you can watch us on Twitter's Periscope, Facebook Live, LinkedIn Live, YouTube Live and every other uh, video live platform. And we really appreciate you uh, being with us, watching, listening, and supporting the show. Welcome back. And speaking of welcome back, we welcome back Steve Solomon. Uh, Mr. Solomon is director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department. He's worked there for more than 17 years, has nearly 30 years of safety and health experience. He's investigated fatalities and life-altering accidents. He's provided assistance to local unions, and he's worked closely with employer safety and health professionals. Now, this is Steve's third time on the show. And it was so funny before, and we were like, welcome back. I'm glad to have you back. He goes, I can't believe you had me back. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he, you have to work a lot harder to screw this up, Mr. Salmon. <laughs> but we are excited to have him back. Please check out the USW website. They're about more than just steel, uh, usw.org, and on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Follow them there at Steelworkers. Mr. Salmon, thank you for joining us on this Tuesday, and uh, welcome back. Thanks for having me. It's an honor and privilege to be back. And likewise to have you. Um, you know, right now we have a new variant coming uh, with COVID. And uh, today is the uh, anniversary of the attack uh, on Pearl Harbor. And a lot of people think about life and uh, life-saving measures, right? Whether it's a pandemic, it's our past history with war, um, or if it's in the workplace and things in our environment that can hurt us and what we can do to um, help uh, prevent these things and actually uh, to help save lives. Um, so uh, I want to start off by talking about OSHA and how um, how we and how you guys certainly um, help OSHA to save lives. OSHA is obviously the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. It is an agency that ensures Americans have safe workplaces. They've been helping to save lives since its foundation uh, in 1970, and they did that with the Occupational Safety and Health Act. And one of its first standards set permissible exposure limits for more than 400 toxic substances. Now, let's take it to where we are today in 2021, Mr. Solomon. Where are we now in 2021 versus where we were in 1970 with regard to the American workplace, the level of safety in the workplace, and ensuring that Americans are working in safe work environments? Well, clearly OSHA has made a difference. Uh, when you look at the outcry that happened back in the 1970s, uh, and I think it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to look at where we've been to where we are. Uh, if you look at the OSH Act, the Occupational Safety and Health Act, and it was signed by President Nixon, a Republican. So mm -hmm. ponder on that for a moment. 
so Nixon signed it on December 29th in 1970, and then OSHA actually opened its doors on April 28th, which is Workers' Memorial Day that you always do such a great job of recognizing, Leslie. And on April 28th of 1971, which was 50 years ago, uh, OSHA basically became a small agency with this huge mandate, as you mentioned, with injuries, fatalities, occupational death from being exposed to disease of cancers in the workplace, uh, and that set up enforcement. And a lot of people know OSHA today as, you know, the safety cops that come out and write uh, fines and penalties for employers. But it's really, you know, it's, it's more than just that. Yes, there's the enforcement side of OSHA, and it's all that is all employee generated. And what we mean by that is, you know, somebody had their life stolen from them or taken from them in the workplace due to a hazard, or there's uh, an amputation, or someone's been hospitalized, a loss of an eye, things that would require uh, an employer to report those things to OSHA and it's employee generated, or an employee files a complaint where they tried to work with the employer and the employer didn't work work with them and they felt like there was no other option but to file a complaint and exercise their rights under the Occupational Safety and Health Act. But it's not always just employee-generated. There's also, we've seen a lot happening with employers working with OSHA. Uh, We've got some really good friends within OSHA for a host of years that do compliance assistance. And uh, We've always had really good help from them. When you call them up and say, we've got some problems, we need some help, they help provide some clarity. But OSHA's also been developing standards. So if you look at some of the recent standards uh, that's been put together, like silica, uh, I'll get into that in a little bit more, but just recently in 2016, that was a standard that the steelworkers were heavily involved in to try to prevent silicosis. And so we've got additional standards, but a lot of those standards are still very out of date. There's also whistleblower protections. Uh, And when you talk about what's going on at OSHA right now, how important whistleblower protection is during this pandemic, there's been all kinds of complaints that's been filed with OSHA about employees standing up for their right to have a safe workplace. And And then not all of those are just federal-operated OSHA. There's also state plans. So federal OSHA also provides funding to 21 states, including Puerto Rico, that uh, cover private and state and local governments. And so that's that's important to kind of understand where we are with that. And I would point out that there's some specific sections in the Occupational Safety and Health Act that are, are really important. Uh, First is that the employer's got to provide a safe workplace, and that's under Section 5A1, and we call it the general duty clause. And basically, an employer has to provide employees with a place of employment free from recognized hazards that are capable of causing injury, illness, and death. I'm paraphrasing that a bit, Uh, but it's a general duty clause. And when you think about where we are today with the pandemic, uh, there we have no OSHA standard per se, a permanent standard. There's these emergency temporary standards that came out to try to protect workers because essential workers deserve essential protections. And now all of that is being tied up in the legal uh, fights on on a whole host of issues that I won't bother to go through, but it's important why we have the general duty clause from clear back in 1970 is because OSHA doesn't have a standard to cover every single little thing, every chemical in the workplace. 
And, and I would point out of where we've been in our journey as the union, we fought for an ergonomic standard uh, to prevent repetitive strain injuries and actually got the standard under the Clinton administration. And then the Bush administration under Republican leadership actually did away with the standard with the Congressional Review Act. So we lost the protections of a standard that was going to prevent the largest number of injuries and illnesses in the workplace related to repetitive strain. And we're still fighting for a number of things like combustible dust and such that, uh, that we don't have. But I would flag for all of the listeners, there's Section 11C of the Occupational Safety and Health Act under uh, the stand, or excuse me, under the Act, and that's the discrimination clause. Uh, and it says basically the employer cannot discriminate against an employee for protected activity, where like you file a complaint or you've participated in some type of a proceeding or instituted some type of a proceeding, or testify or gave a testimony, you know, to a compliance officer who came into your workplace and wanted to know about your job and. Or if you, you know, filed a complaint on behalf of yourself or others based upon the act, and here's the important part is you're only provided 30 days if you think you've been discriminated or harassed by the employer. Uh, mm. So you only have 30 days to file that complaint from that adverse action. And that's clearing clear back to 1970 from the standard or when the act was put together. And if you look at some of the newer uh, anti-retaliation provisions like the Surface Transportation Assistance Act, that's now 180 days because 30 days is really not adequate. And so we've seen a lot of things coming and going over the five decades that OSHA has been in place where grain elevators, we don't see them blowing up anymore. We've seen a lot around chemical plants, refineries, not as bad as what it's used to be due to the process safety management standard. Healthcare workers have bloodborne pathogen protections. And these are the things that we've seen over this five decades of OSHA. You know, you talked about how um, they help employers. My husband's a physician, and when he started his own tiny little practice before he joined the big group he's in now, um, OSHA was very helpful. We called up and said, look, we want to be compliant. And it's interesting because um, I learned about some of those bloodborne, uh, bloodborne pathogens in the office because, you know, if you take blood and you transfer it to um, uh, uh, like a box, if you will, that somebody picks up outside, there's a lot more that goes uh you know, into it. And uh, in, interestingly enough, masks were very helpful and that was pre-COVID. Uh, we're going to take right. a break and we're going to talk uh, more um, about OSHA. We're going to, they perform tens of thousands of inspections every year. And that's to help, you know, all of our friends, family, neighbors, and, and part of our community in the workplace be safer. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with Steve Salman, director of the United Steelworkers Health Safety Environment Department right after this. My dog's trying to be a part of the conversation for a moment. <laughs> After uh, COVID, where many of us are working from our home studios, as I do on radio and television uh, each and every day. Leslie Marshall with you on this Tuesday and rejoining us for the third time, and I'm sure it'll be a fourth, uh, is Mr. Steve Salmon. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Salmon is director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department. Uh, we are talking about OSHA, how they help save lives. 
Uh, and, you know, what's going on with OSHA, I mean, in the time that we're living in this pandemic and how they perform tens of thousands of inspections every year. Between 1970 and 2019, workplace fatalities were reduced by 60 percent injuries and illnesses, followed by almost 75 percent. And uh, that's certainly progress. And that's what we want. Mr. Salman, thank you for ho- holding in. Uh, welcome back. Um, when you look at the previous administration, um, there, there's definitely a stark contrast between the prior administration to that, the Obama administration, the current administration, the Biden administration. Uh, you know, one's Democratic, obviously, one's Republican. Um, but can can you speak to how different in the previous min- administration it was for OSHA and their ability to perform the, the work they do, the vital work that they do, and how the work that they do can hinge uh, on external factors, that there are things externally that can prohibit them from uh, their ability to perform um, at, at, at their best in the best uh, case uh, scenario for the worker and in the best interest of those workers. Sure. I'll give you one example. Uh, under the Obama administration with David Michaels as the assistant secretary of OSHA, uh, we were able to get a, a silica standard passed that set lower limits for uh, exposure to silica. And and for those that may not know what silica is, uh, you find it in materials like sandstone, concrete. If you're out driving down the interstate and you see somebody cutting the concrete and you see the big white uh, dust cloud, uh, that's people being exposed to crystalline silica. And it's used to make glass, pottery, bricks, and so on, artificial stone. And, and one of our members, Alan White, uh, from Local 593, was diagnosed with silicosis in 2010, and he had been fighting, you know, to get something done about silicosis, had provided testimony in 2012, 2014, uh, and then finally in 2016, we got a regulation that lowered the exposure limits to silica and much more. And if we had been under the previous administration, uh, I'm not sure that would have happened because uh, they've really just been more or less repealing things. So for one example, there was a record-keeping rule under OSHA's record-keeping standard. Uh, Employers would have had to submit electronically detailed reports of injuries to OSHA, and it would be sanitized, right? It wouldn't say that Steve had an injury and Leslie had. It would be all sanitized, but it would say that there was injuries. And, And why is that information important and that rule in place? Uh, it's so workers and unions, public health researchers, they need that data. And as we're driving around during this pandemic, I'm sure probably in your neighborhood and all of the listeners' neighborhoods, you see these signs out there that say, help wanted. And how nice it would be, you know, when you shop for something, a car or whatever, you do all kinds of research on the Internet, you look at things. Why not be able to do that research on a place you're going to go have a place of employment and think about what are you going to be exposed to? And the Great way point. to approach that is I want to know how safe that workplace is or how potentially Absolutely. dangerous it is and what kind of training might be needed for this industry. And OSHA doesn't cover all workplaces. So uh, it's important that you look at this information. And the previous administration had rolled those rules back. The current administration, we believe, is going to be looking at getting that back, uh, but it's going to take some time to undo what has been done because most employers uh, seems like have put all their resources towards 
uh, ramping up their legal department rather than ramping up their health and safety departments. Yeah, under the former administration, uh, President Donald Trump, um, OSHA's enforcement activities plummeted to new lows, worker deaths soared to the highest levels in in more than a decade. And it even rolled back a 2016 rule, as you mentioned, uh, requiring most employers to electronically submit detailed reports on workplace injuries. And why? Because the powerful corporations didn't like it. You know, to your point, Mr. Salman, I I really like that idea. I, I think that's common sense. When we interview for jobs, People can do background checks on us, whether it's extensive through law enforcement and, and you know, those kinds of uh, organizations or whether it's just looking at your social media sites. Right. And saying, you know, what you know, what does persons think? You know, how, how do they uh, you know, how, how are they talking about issues or, you know, what are their opinions on certain things or, you know, what are they doing on Friday night, you know, with their friends? So if, if people can check us out, why shouldn't we be able to check out? you know, somebody we're applying for a job with and we're interested in possibly, you know, working for, um, you know, to see how safe that work environment is. I think that's a I think it's an excellent idea and something that absolutely should be done, especially because we're in such a digital age um, and especially because there are additional hazards in the workplace now um, with the, you know, the viral concerns and, you know, a new variant and not knowing if these things are airborne or, you know, how, how, how you know, distant one has to be. Um, you know, from another individual. Uh, I know we have that six feet apart rule. That's not always possible in the workplace. And some people wear their mask under their nose. Uh, some workplaces, if they're not enforcing the, uh, you know, use of social distancing in the mask, the, the, the list goes on. Um, so I think it's, I think it's an incredible idea. Correct. Correct. And, you know, Leslie, I got to thinking one thing about when you was asking me about where we've been to where we are now. Uh, I should have mentioned that we there's not just OSHA under the Occupational Safety and Health Act, but there's things that OSHA relies upon. And when you was talking about some of the statistics, I thought about there's the research arm. Uh, there's three agencies. Basically, there's OSHA. Then there's the research arm, which is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. And, and they had put out all kinds of information about silicosis and the exposure to silica. And they've been telling people for a long period of time, this is a problem and we need to do something with it. And then, you know, out comes finally some leadership, some support for these kinds of things to move OSHA forward. And we need more leadership like that. And there is one third part of the OSH Act uh, where we can also gain some ground. And sometimes you have to be, um, there's art and science to this process, and that's the independent agency to adjudicate enforcement actions challenged by employers, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. Uh, And it says it's for employers, but employees and their representatives also have a right to participate in that. So I think it's important when people hear about you have a right to participate. You should be having the training that you need and what kind of protections, as you was explaining, should you have in the workplace. And when those things fail, uh, we went to the review commission where an employer had challenged a case under OSHA. And this just shows you kind of the differences in between the, the leadership and the administrations. We filed for party status as employees and their representatives. And it was relationship to one of our brothers who was killed in a combustible dust explosion. And the, the brother uh, who ended up having his life taken from him was in a combustible dust where it, it literally met, melted part of his hard hat. It was that hot. Wow. And 
we proceeded to go through this with the employer. Uh, there was willful violations. Mr. Salmon, Mr. Salmon, I hate to interrupt. We're coming up on a break, and and I'm I'm on the edge of my seat here. I want to hear I want to hear about that interaction with their employer. Um, and sure. I think it's just terrible. And so we're going to take a quick break. I apologize for interrupting, um, but I I want people to hear this, and uh, I want to hear this. Um, and these are the types of things that can happen, folks, if we don't have the right regulations, right agencies overseeing employers that don't care perhaps enough about their employee safety. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with Mr. Steve Salmon from the USW right after this. We are back. Welcome back. I'm Leslie Marshall talking with Mr. Steve Salmon, director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety and Environment Department. Please check out their website, USW.org, on Twitter and Instagram. Follow them at Steelworkers. Mr. Salmon, before the break, um, we were talking about the previous administration and how OSHA was not able to uh, perform all of their vital work and how uh, there were just enforcement activities that plummeted to a new low workers' death soared to the highest level in more than a decade. You were sharing one of the steel workers, one of the brothers' um, deaths. Uh, you were you were talking about the, you were talking about the dust and, and, and the temperature and how it melted um, his his hard hat. And uh, also that you had started before the break to talk about the conversation the USW um, had with the employer. Could you please continue? Sure, sure. So the employer, as I had mentioned, uh, there was a general duty clause violation. The employer had not provided a safe workplace and that there was combustible dust that had not been addressed. Uh, And so we went through the review commission process that I mentioned that established the three different agencies under the OSH Act. And this is where we're fortunate, whether it's, you know, Republican or Democrat, that we still have this provision in the act that you can go through this process. And we went through a mandatory settlement conference uh, and we were able to achieve some things where uh, we put together uh, the voice of reason is what I like to call this. Uh, We took those classifications. We talked about what it would take to improve the workplace safety and health, to invest in the people and the facility. And to OSHA's credit and the employer's credit, as well as the solicitor's office, Uh, we were able to strike a deal and didn't have to go through this protracted legal battle that could get appealed for as long as it needed to based upon the employer's uh, liking. And meanwhile, while all that is in litigation, the employer is not required to do anything to fix the workplace because it's tied tied up in the legal battle. And what we were able to get was a dust hazard safety committee And that consisted of the union putting together its members, management putting together its members. Um, We were going to meet, and we did, on a frequent basis. We did inspections. We had a a combustible dust expert who specializes in dust come out and do a complete dust hazard analysis on the material involved. And then also the actual uh, dust handling of the collectors and the processes of the machinery involved and then that developed a written report that the union and the employer was involved in and we tracked those items to completion the employer had to designate a combustible dust coordinator within the facility so it wasn't just like well whose job is it it was designated to someone and it helped clean the workplace up we got a housekeeping helps cleaning program there was additional training for our members and workers at the at the workplace 
And it all led to a comprehensive job hazard analysis of how to do uh, the servicing and maintenance of the equipment. And in the end, we also got FR clothing uh, that if you are exposed to a flash fire, it cannot create a greater hazard. And our brother mm-hmm. was wearing this disposable white uh, Tyvek oh. coverall suit that is, you know, you just throw it away. Yeah. Well, it's it's not rated to be exposed to a flash fire. So you can imagine when you're wearing like this paper coverall disposable suit, uh, how that only added to the injuries. And so we were <laughs> able to get things improved where it's just the simplest of things like personal protective equipment and OSHA monitoring the workplace and anti-retaliation provisions beyond just what was in Section 11C of the OSHAC. So there's a lot of things that uh, are there that unions, workers need to take full advantage of and be aware that these things are at your disposal. You know, help us to understand, Mr. Salman, because something that crosses my mind, and I know there are people watching and listening that share um, this curiosity. If an employer doesn't protect its workers, and clearly they were in violation and and someone lost their life, so many things, you know, it's it's such a rippling effect, right? Uh, The reputation of your company um, on a business end slows down production. Um, Your workers are now afraid and not trusting. You could lose members of your workforce, um, you know, uh, not to mention, again, the productivity. You have an individual that died. That family could file a lawsuit. The list goes on. Why not just do the right thing in the first place? Why are so many companies um, either hesitant or just completely negligent when it comes to some of these precautions and safety measures uh, to be put in place to protect their employees? Why, why would they even do this and put their employees at risk in the first place? That's a great question, and I, I think you have to look at this. Uh, you can't paint every employer with one brush, but there are those who just simply have a blatant disregard for worker health and safety. They see people as a disposable workforce. We don't see it that way. Uh, clearly, there are employers who we work with who work very well with our union. We have effective health and safety committees, and we do things together. In fact, we've even got some contract language that you know, would be a model for many people to follow, including like annual health and safety conferences with the employer and the local unions, going to different workplaces and looking at what works and what doesn't. And for some employers, I believe they think that OSHA and safety is a cost of doing business. They don't see it as a return on their investment. Uh, And especially when you got all these help wanted signs out there today, where now you have the hazard of what we call green green on green, which is new people training new people. Mm -hmm. And you need that experienced hand in the workplace who's seen all kinds of things, experienced all kinds of things. And employers aren't recognizing that staffing is an issue and, and you can't just keep plugging and playing one worker to another. You need a systemic approach to make sure that you have hazards identified, people know how to control them, what steps to take, And most importantly, get their feedback, get their involvement. And when employers don't see workers as part of the solution, um, then they're going to deal with all these kinds of problems. And that's when I said earlier, it seems like they've ramped up their legal departments rather than working with their safety Mm -hmm. departments. And we've even got some full-time health and safety representatives, hourly people who work with the company's safety people And that's when it works well. And I think those employers see that return on investment and they don't have to worry about a product or a service, you know, 
not being there for the customer or the people that need those vital services. And, and especially when you look at right now with what's going on still with COVID, that people are needed. They can't just have a disposable workforce. Right. Absolutely. Well, with the new administration, the Biden administration, there are new opportunities uh, for change. Um, my understanding, could you talk to some of these? Um, one, for example, is that healthcare workers uh, finally uh, got an emergency temporary standard for occupational exposure to COVID-19. Um, and they're going to continue to need that, obviously, as this virus continues to mutate. Can, can you speak to some of these new opportunities? So yes, this is huge. Uh, this should have happened long ago under the previous administration when, you know, remember when people were standing out on the balconies? I remember seeing this on, yes. you know, pounding pots and making sounds and supporting healthcare workers and people turning on coach lights and house lights and all the things to say, these people are our heroes. And yet under the past administration, they never had any kind of protections uh, such as under OSHA, what they call an emergency temporary standard. A lot of people call it an ETS. Uh, and the reason why OSHA can do an ETS is because there's grave danger. Well, I just looked before getting on the show today at John Hopkins' website, and there's 789,902 deaths in the U.S. from covid and plus, we know there's probably around 50 million cases confirmed, and that doesn't include all the over-the-counter tests. Mm -hmm. So we don't even know really how many cases are out there. Well, who has mm -hmm. to handle those people? It's the healthcare workers and the healthcare system. And so OSHA, to their uh, credit, under the under this current administration, on uh, in June 21st. Uh, issued an emergency temporary standard for healthcare workers and healthcare worker um, service type people who help with uh, dealing with occupational exposure to COVID-19 and where they would have those settings where the people come in and need those services. And they're expected to perform their work around people with COVID-19. And so in that ETS, uh, OSHA said for healthcare workers, the employer's got to develop a written program, and that's all the plans that has to be there. How do you identify and how do you control those hazards? Is there an aerosol generating procedure where you got to put somebody on a ventilator? How do you screen people and management and people in the workplace? How do you prevent the transmission of those things? You mentioned earlier about it being airborne. Well, this is an aerosol transmitted disease, and so it's important. And when you have something in the air, what else would you need but ventilation? And it talks about having those things in place. And when things are in the air, it's not enough just to put a piece of uh, cloth over your face. Healthcare workers are dealing with sick people. And we all learned all of a sudden what an N95 is, whether you as a safety person or not. They need the essential personal protective awesome. equipment. And the, and the other part to that is you had mentioned the distancing. So, well, hold on know. to that. Hold on to the, that. We're going to come back from our break, hear about the social distancing, and I want to talk a little about Build Back Better. We'll be back with uh, the best, Mr. Steve Solomon, Director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department. Check out their website, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram, at Steelworkers, back after this. We are back on Leslie Marshall. Welcome. Oh, welcome back. So is he, Mr. Steve Salmon. He is back, Director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department. 
like I said earlier, please go to their website, usw.org. Find out all the wonderful things the United Steelworkers do. Uh, you'd be surprised. There's a lot there. And also you can find out uh, about unions and, and what they do and how they protect you. We're talking about protections for workers. Also on Twitter and Instagram, uh, go to the uh, their handle there is at Steelworkers and follow them on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Mr. Solomon, thank you for um, holding and welcome back. And again, apologies to um, have to interrupt. We were talking about with the new administration and new opportunities, healthcare workers finally getting an emergency temporary standard for occupational exposure to COVID-19. Uh, you were talking about uh, PPP. You were talking about, uh, you know, other things, um, because like you said, and, and very accurately, healthcare workers, uh, you know, a paper mask isn't going to cut it necessarily because they're not just working with each other and they're not just working with people who come in and who are sick and working with those individuals. They go home to their families. Maybe somebody is immunocompromised, uh, maybe a child, uh, you know, a, a pregnant, you know, wife, sister. You know, I mean, the list goes on. Um, uh, please continue uh, with what you were saying regarding uh, these items that these healthcare workers require. Yes, and so it goes on under the ETS emergency temporary standard about physical distancing, and this becomes really important when workers have to take a break. At some point, people have to take that equipment off to eat, drink, and then how do you, you know, protect people when those defense mechanisms are down? And so all these other things, the hierarchy of controls that has to be in place, and we also want to make sure that these, these, this emergency temporary standard at least continues or it works towards some type of a permanent standard. And here's an important date to flag is an emergency temporary standard is only good for six months. So uh, when you go back to June 21st, that takes us to December 21st. And we want to make sure that there's no lapse in protection for healthcare workers, including our members in the healthcare sector. And with Delta, you know, still still ravaging through the country and now the concern with the new Omicron spreading, I mean, it's just you start looking back as I reflect. I remember when COVID-19 first started. We've seen it in Washington. We heard about it in Arizona, then Illinois. And now we're going to see it spread again with a different variant. And who knows what other variants may come. And so we not only need it for healthcare workers, but then the administration also put out an ETS um, for other workers in general industry, construction, and so on, uh, because this is an aerosol transmittable disease, and all workers need protection. And, of course, now that's tied up into the legal system. Even though COVID's not over, it seems like all these protections have been put on hold when we know that there is grave danger. And so we'll see how this starts to play out, but that ETS uh, is different. It's not a mandatory vaccination. It's You can get vaccinated or you can choose testing and facial covering. So it, it gives people the ability to make that choice as well as the employer. Right, absolutely. To your point about how fast it spreads, I just heard uh, on the way to the studio today um, a physician at Cedars uh, Hospital here in Los Angeles who said that in South Africa, uh, Omicron uh, now uh, is 70% of all of the COVID cases mm. in South Africa. That's how fast it, and it says it may mm. you know, overtake Delta. That's what these viruses tend to do. Let's talk about Build Back Better, because when people think about Build Back Better and the Build Back Better Act passed by the U.S. House last month, 
Um, and uh, I, I don't I think people think of it as lowering prescription drug prices, um, you know, child care and having more child care, you know, facilities paying child care workers more and having child uh, care tax credits uh, for people uh, that are working and, you know, trying to find proper child care for their children. But President Biden's Build Back Better plan also presents an opportunity to enable OSHA to keep workers safe from a variety of hazards. They're expanding the budget. They're increasing penalties for workplace health and safety violations. Could you speak to some of this that's included in the Build Back Better Act that passed the House? Sure. So as you mentioned, we're, we've got it through the House. Now, the Senate, that's where we always seem to run into the small end of the funnel and the trouble begins. But uh, hopefully we can get this through. And, and here's part of the important, there, there's many parts to it, but I'll, I'll speak to the OSHA side of this since that's the flavor that we've been looking at is uh, they're, they're looking at raising the penalties, uh, which will increase OSHA's deterrence ability and making it more costly for employers to violate a standard and, and endanger workers. Uh, so the, they've increased OSHA's budget uh, that will allow them to get to more hazardous workplace and issue more protections. So when I've talked about some of the standards that we still need, if you look at such things as uh, workplace violence, uh, they're talking about heat because we've had some of the most uh, record temperatures of heat in the, in, the, in the environment in our workplace due to climate change. And then they're looking at uh, other things as how do we carry out our enforcement activities? How do we develop further standards? There's whistleblower protections that we've seen how important they are during the pandemic. And then compliance assistance and funding of the state plans. And, and some of the things that will you know, start to generate this machine on the people who are anti-OSHA, they're going to say that you know, it's raising these penalties, you know, astronomically and it'll put people out of business. Well, that's not the case. Uh, a serious violation right now under OSHA is $13,653. Now, the average penalty for what is a serious violation is 5427 Well, most medium to large employers are going to look at that and say, we throw that away in scrap or waste every day. So what's the citation? Uh, so there's got to be some skin in the game or some consequences for these employers. And so raising the citation penalty amount is going to get some people's attention. And one example is whenever there's a willful violation that's a complete, you know, intentional disregard for safety or a plain indifference by the employer to employee safety and health, that goes from $70,000 uh, or I'm sorry, from 700,000 to, uh, excuse me, I, I, re I stated that correctly, incorrectly. It's 136,530 mm -hmm. to 700,000 mm -hmm. uh, because they've been adjusting for uh, inflation. And that's going to get some attention from employers when that starts happening. Now, will it be the full penalty amount? Most generally, employers will have been able to show some good faith measurement. So I wouldn't anticipate that every willful or repeat violation would be $700,000. Uh, OSHA has the ability to basically use some discretion on what that penalty amount is. But this dramatic increase in penalties will certainly save lives and encourage That's firms true. to eliminate hazards before workers are hurt. Uh, I understand it also provides $133 million to the Mine Safety and Health Administration for similar work, right? Correct. Correct. And, you know... 
MSHA uh, is a little bit different. There's better protections under the Mine Safety and Health Act that some of the Occupational Safety and Health Act does not have. Uh, but we just helped, uh, MSHA was trying to improve the fatalities related to power haulage uh, and belt conveyors. And we provided comments to MSHA about that, that, you know, they need a new standard to improve the power haulage uh, mobile equipment standard uh, to have written plans for all workplaces. So then that way people aren't operating equipment till failure or not properly trained on the equipment or it's not properly maintained. So this, this also will help our brothers and sisters in the mining community as well. No, absolutely. You know, it, we talked about how, you know, employers, you know, should just do this anyway, but because there are employees, so many do, but there are employers that don't. Um, the, these are big penalties, stiff penalties. And, uh, and I think that this will definitely be uh, an incentive to employers to address those concerns and to provide a safe work environment uh, if this passes the Senate. Do you agree? Oh, indeed. And, and when you look at, you think about where OSHA has been on the penalty, instru- uh, basically the whole structure. I mean, when the act was put together, uh, they, they outlined what the penalty structure were, and then that stayed for the longest period of time. And if you, for those historians who might remember Daddy Bush saying, read my lips, no new taxes, mm. uh, the way he kind of came back at that was he raised the OSHA penalty amount to try to offset some of the things on the budget. So uh, then they started looking at it, inflation, how does that keep up with inflation on the penalty amounts? And, and OSHA's proven that with penalties, uh, that's going to protect workers uh, with the help of this administration and OSHA's current leadership. Uh, we're hopeful this legislation will pass and it will be able to even do more for workplace health and safety. Well, we have less than a minute left. I want to give you the last 60 seconds and the last word, Mr. Solomon. What would you leave, like to leave our listeners with today? So get involved in health and safety. Uh, Participate in health and safety. Speak up. Stand up. Speak out. If you see something, say something. More importantly, do something. And that is work with your union. And that takes everyone working together to make that happen. And we can't just rely upon the government to do what's right. That's going to take all of us to make it happen. But we certainly need friends at OSHA and at MSHA. Absolutely. Mr. Solomon, it went by so fast because uh, you're very interesting. You're good. You, we will have you back for a fourth time. You didn't You didn't screw it up. You didn't try hard <laughs> enough. <laughs> uh, Mr. Steve, Mr. Steve Solomon, Director of the United Steelworkers Health, Safety, and Environment Department. It's people like him and people like the United Steelworkers and organizations and unions like that that help and work so hard to keep our workers, our working class, our middle class, our majority here in America safe. Please go to their website, usw.org. Follow them on Twitter and on Instagram. Handle the same on both at Steelworkers. I'm Leslie Marshall. A shout out to Mark Grimaldi, our executive producer. I hope that all of you have a great rest of your afternoon and evening. Be safe, max, mask up, social distance, and get vaccinated or boosters if you haven't already. <laughs>